This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. First, though, let's talk about something that at, at kind of the, the outset of it looks like it's devastating. And in a way, it, it probably has some of that to it. But at the same time, there's more to it. And we get to talk about that right now. The Grand Theater announced that they have postponed not their 2019-2020 season, but the 2020-21 season. So not the rest of this year, but next year. And that's got to be a tough decision. But as we look at it, it does have some of that silver lining to it. Joining us right now is the artistic director of the Grand Theater, Dennis Garnham. Dennis, great to speak with you. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine considerably, considering. Yeah, let's kind of go through, even before we get to what could wind up as a silver lining, there's still some tough decisions that went into this. Take us through the decision to postpone not the rest of this season, that had already happened, but next season. Well, as you know, Mike, things have changed. I, I'll never forget the date, March 13th, when we uh, closed the room at last minute uh, before it even opened that night. And all of a sudden, we started to realize the world was changing. So at that point, we thought, cancel two more shows, cancel room, cancel grow. Oh, we'll be fine for the high school project, the Western Fair. That's be, that'll be fine. And then two weeks later, we won't be fine for that. And so what we have been doing at the Grand is going with, uh, we've created what we call plan, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, and plan F. So we're kind of at plan B, I think. Um, and, you know, we've been meeting weekly with a team trying to figure out the next step. Next step. So for us, it was really first and foremost and always, health and safety of people of London, Ontario. So it's very simple from that point of view. It is not time to be congregating in large groups. We understand it. We believe in it. We're not going to do it. The the hardest part is really trying to decide and figure out when will that be safe. You know, there's a sense and there's a feeling that maybe by January it'll be safe. We want to be safe. We want to come back confident and proud and we we want people to know it's safe i'm not going to be going out asking people to trust us we want people to know that in their hearts and they will anyways so we made the dis- uh, very difficult decision to cancel you know i mike this is surreal talking to you right now is surreal in my life that i would be having this conversation the 15 projects that we've worked three years on and all the artists we've invited all the staff it won't be happening at the Grand next year. It is surreal. I mean, just a few months ago, we were at the Grand. You and I were sitting in the same place, and we were talking about a lot of these things that were coming up. We were talking about the excitement, some of the new things that had never been tried before that were going to be tried now. And like you say, that gets put kind of to the side because of the health and safety of everyone, which is completely understandable. Dennis, we've got to find some silver lining in this. And you know what? We may be able to find a little bit of silver lining because this is going to give you the opportunity to do some things. Where do you want to start in terms of what will be able to happen, not in terms of productions for the 2020-2021 season, but in terms of other things that will get done? Well, here's the thing. There is a silver lining, and, you know, I'm an optimist, and, and uh, there is a grand intermission coming your way. We're just taking a great big intermission. And <laughs> if you've ever been to a play, 
Act one, you, go, you meet the characters, you figure out what's going on, then you have an intermission, you go out, talk about the world, talk about what you see, then you come back to act two, and people always say to me, act two was better than act one, act two is incredible. We're just on the grand intermission, and we're going to come back with act two, and it's going to be extraordinary. So we have a gift, and I'm serious, how we believe in this. We have opportunities. So first of all, we will make sure you know we're out there. We are going to, our, one of our priorities of the next year is, how do we get into London? How do we make sure we go out? Um, how do we do things we've talked about doing and we haven't done? We want to get further into our communities in London. We want to reach out and, and find out more of the people who make up London, the part that makes London proud. Um, you know, world curious, this is this really falls under Black Lives Matters. We um, um, have heard the call and we must change. We must be better. We must look at how we present theater, how we present um, our experiences. We, and we are looking at this closely over the next year and how we can make significant um, noticeable change on board level, staff level, audience level, the plays we program, and the stories we tell. So we have that. And we also have, somewhere in here is this renovation. So we were supposed to be renovating right now. This is a, something we announced months and months and months ago. And what happened is we put it on big pause. The strange thing, and I think it's super strange, is we, we can't have the audience come in, but we can have under, you know, uh, socially distanced thought through measures, we can actually carry on with this renovation. And what do we need for the renovation? An empty theater. So it's going to take six months. We have an empty theater. It is a blessing because what I love and what keeps me excited is as you go down Richmond Street, you're going to see people in the Grand. They are going to be building a newer, better, more accessible, more inviting, more spaced out, better washrooms. Um, um, you know, COVID is we can actually address this in the renovation to, as much as we can and make sure that um, uh, it is more inviting. So there is a... Is, um, um, silver lining. Um, you know, the first while was pretty dark and depressing, but there's a team. I'm working with a small team right now, and we're going to be looking at how can we be creative. We've got some really fun ideas to do theater, not in our theater next year. Um, and should things change, Mike, you know, should things change, we will find ways to invite you back sooner. I hope, you know, I hope our predictions are wrong, and I hope people are congregating in January, and we think, ah, oh, we got that one wrong. You know, I don't think I'm wrong, but if it is, we'll see what we can do. Well, you know what? You have acted, and that's that's something that is very difficult to do, to actually say, okay, here's what we think needs to happen. We're going to do it for the betterment of everybody. The grand intermission. I kind of like that. So we'll all go and get a refreshment, and <laughs> uh, and or, or maybe 365 yeah. refreshments on on consecutive yeah. days but at some point dennis we need to meet back and hopefully it's inside the grand and all of those renovations that you talk about have happened you and i will sit there and we'll talk about a new season and we'll talk about new productions and we'll talk about what you have found and looking around the community and serving the community and we'll do all that and that's going to be a heck of a day i can't wait for that day i'm going to try and mark it down on my calendar somewhere off in the distance but dennis thank you so much for being as as you are and explaining what has gone on we really appreciate it you're very welcome mike you're very well spoken and you just gave me an idea you just gave me a grand a grand intermission idea so when it happens i'm going to name it after you <laughs> i can't tell you now Go, i gotta get back to work and figure out these plans and here's the thing you talked about when is that night going to be it's going to be the opening night 
that is going to be the night in London when we all gather on the opening of the new season and we sit down together and we say, here comes Act 2. Love it. Love it. Dennis, all the best. Please stay safe. And we have a little bit of a silver lining. It'll look more silver at some point, and uh, we'll have something golden at the Grand pretty soon. Take care. You too. Thanks. That's Dennis Garnham, Artistic Director at the Grand Theater. That's a tough call. Think about that. I mean, a lot of a lot of organizations, a lot of different events that have gone on are saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll kind of postpone for now. Or the most is what? The Olympics? Would that be the furthest into the distance right now? The Olympics went more than a year. The Grand Theater has said 2020, 2021. Can't do it. That year, not doing it. But as Dennis says, there is flexibility. So if something changes, they'll find ways to make some things work. But that's a tough call. But they have made it, and they will be better for it. You watch this week, you may have seen something at globalnews.ca about bike shops and urban planners and the culture of cycling and how many people have kind of said, hey, we're going to just get active. We're going to hop on a bike and we're going to go. We want to check in right now on how things are going locally and what one bike shop is seeing in particular. If you go by McGregor Ave at 479 McGregor Ave, you will find Wayne Prince. You'll find South London Cycle. But we've brought Wayne here right now. Wayne, how are things? How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm all right. I have been on a bike a little bit, and fortunately it hasn't needed repair. But how are the repairs looking? Crazy. We are just swamped right now. We're probably about a week and a half to two weeks behind, and that's that's just you know a good guesstimate sort of thing. Every morning okay. we got people waiting at the shop to to take bikes in. This is, and we have to do a comparison here. So, how would you compare this to say last year at this time? Would you have uh, seen this kind of volume? No, no, because well, the thing is too, especially for myself, Mike. I've been I was closed, you know, the first part of March right through till just now here in June. So I I was kind of the exception to the rule that I didn't I didn't open up. So I've been swamped with stuff since the 1st of June here. Um first day we were open I had 25 bikes in. So I mean it's it's definitely probably double what it was last year. Wow. Now how much do you think that's haircut catch up and how much do you think it is people making use of the ability to to cycle well i think a big part of it is people are there's i mean i'm seeing more and more bikes mike that are coming in that have not been ridden in probably 15 years <laughs> and they're digging them out to get out and do some exercise and and you know get get active i guess more than anything else getting out of the house no doubt. Wayne Prince joining us from South London Cycle as we look at the volume, because this has been hinted at everywhere, so we thought we'd see what was happening in London. So bikes that kind of have been sitting in the garage, the chain maybe is rusted away oh, yeah. a little bit, those sorts of things? Yep, yeah, we're seeing tons of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, stuff like I say, stuff that hasn't been ridden in 15 years, coming out of the basement, out of the garage, uh, bringing them in. I mean, some of the stuff, unfortunately, has been sitting around so long, it's it's not worth fixing. But the problem is today you can't buy a bike. There's none of the bike shops have got bikes for sale right now. Um, I don't know if you've been into some of the other stores like Canadian Tire. Shelves are empty. Like there's nothing there. 
And the because big, people have gone out. It's kind of like the, any kind of exercise equipment. Yep. You walk through the exercise aisle and you go looking for a dumbbell, you're not going to find one. Nope. Well, that's it. I mean, what, what's happened is people have, uh, are they just, you know, they, 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 they're wanting to do something. They want to get out and do something, and, you know, that's what they're doing. They're getting out cycling. Well, that's not a bad thing. That's no, actually good. a very, very good thing. Uh, Wayne, before we let you go, in terms of digging out a bike, if you're going to do it, uh, give us kind of a recommendation. Should you go through that tune-up, no matter how long the bike may have been in the garage? Yeah, Maybe yeah, if you definitely. haven't had it out? I mean, we always suggest, Mike, to get a tune-up done once a year. And, I mean, that way it keeps the bike operating safely all the time. A lot of people, if they let stuff go and they, they don't get tune-ups done, then it's a bigger expense, you know, the third year they bring it in rather than getting it done once a year and having it all gone over for us. Now, last thing you want to do is be cycling somewhere in a bike lane and have the front wheel lock up or exactly. chain brake yeah. or any of it. It's like, it's like getting a flat tire in a yep. car. You, it'll shock you, it'll surprise you, yeah. and you don't want to be a part of it. Oh, no. so, the thing we're seeing too, Mike, is that um, we're selling stuff that we normally don't sell. Um, saddles. I'm selling saddles like crazy. Um, uh, water bottle cages. Can't keep water bottle cages in stock. Pumps for bikes. Can't keep them in stock either. And the other issue is we're having is we're having problems getting stock. Some of our stuff is they're, they're talking September the 18th for delivery. Uh, some of our stuff from uh, Vancouver, and Toronto, Montreal. It's, it's just because there's nothing coming in from overseas. Yeah, that makes the big difference, doesn't it? It's crazy. Wow. Well, Wayne, thank you for painting the picture of what's happening. We won't hold you any longer because I'm sure you have 775 bikes <laughs> that you've got to get to for the rest of the day. But yep. we, we really appreciate yep. the time. Keep yep. yourself safe. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You too. Take care. Bye. That is Wayne Prince. The man is a prince. You can find him at South London Cycle on McGregor Ave in London. But, yeah, think about that. I mean, there aren't shipments coming from overseas. A lot of that has stopped, and that's one of the reasons why you go looking for a certain thing, whether it be a piece of fitness equipment, whether it is a bike, and you can't necessarily find them because the stock has been depleted. About three months ago, all around North America, all around the world even, you had officials grabbing these great big reins and pulling, whoa, Nelly, pulling those reins, bringing everything almost to a standstill. The fallout, we still can't measure it. It's still absolutely devastating for some people. It is difficult to wake up in the morning and go through the unknowns because we did bring things to a pretty solid standstill because of this pandemic. But some things didn't stop. It would be nice to think that, whoa, when you pulled on those reins, all of the crime stopped too. All of the people who were doing things they shouldn't be doing, they stopped as well. But that's never the case. And when it comes to something like sex trafficking or human trafficking, this has been continuing. And it, it kind of finds slippery ways to continue to operate and continue to subject a number of people to things that we can't even imagine. 
So it's important to have conversations like the one we're about to have. And it's important to have people like Kelly Tell and Franklin in our world. Kelly is one of the most amazing people you will ever meet. And you get a chance to meet her right now. I enjoy any time I get to talk with her or communicate with her. She is the founder of Courage for Freedom, which is a Canadian-based organization. It exists to educate, train, and certify frontline and community service providers on strategies, proven ones, and prevention tactics and it serves vulnerable victims of human trafficking and sexually exploited, exploited girls. Kelly's involved in a number of other things. I could list them off, but we wouldn't have time to speak with her. And I really want to do that. Kelly, thank you for taking some time for us. Really great to jump on a call with you today, Mike. Well, let's begin with what the Ontario government has done this week. And then we'll get into some of the other things that have continued to happen in either sex trafficking or human trafficking. We did hear an announcement that they are going to invest $46 million. It's going to be over a five-year period. It's going to go to community-based and Indigenous-specific supports. It's going to help target child and youth victims of sex trafficking. What do you see here in this $46 million investment over five years? Well, first, we are are coming into a time in anti-human trafficking in Ontario that the first announcement in March was the largest in the country. And it it needed to be because 60% of all the human trafficking in Canada was purported to start in Ontario. We were a little worried, uh, even though it was a $307 million announcement, that we weren't addressing the 68 to 72% of the concerns that are heard uh, across the province from every community, every demographic, that 68 to 72% of the trafficking in our province is reported as with minors. And just to ensure, we kept advocating, and thankfully the Associate Minister Jill Dunlop and Jennifer Richardson at the Provincial Anti-Human Trafficking Office The Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones, under Doug Ford, they were listening. They did their homework, and they heard our concerns. And so this is another announcement on top of that, that the specific funds are exactly what Courage for Freedom was advocating for, that they need to be for the youth and the families. They needed to be additional funds. But if you do the math, it's $9 million a year. That's what it works out to. It's still still not enough, but we are definitely moving in the right direction. And it's being um, allocated to the right community when 68 to 72% are minors. um, A lot of money needs to be put in that area. Um, and And this is a crucial announcement. It's timely. It's probably the most comprehensive plan we've had historically, not only in Ontario, Uh, but in the anti-human trafficking movement. And I can tell you the pioneers and the survivors that have done the work are just excited that it's survivor-led. Okay, let's focus in on that for a minute. What is the importance of it being survivor-led? Well, you know, like anything else, if you have lived experience in something, it's easier to make a connection to whatever an issue is, specifically the trauma piece. Um, that that needs to be the mainstay for the care. Um, also, you need to move that forward through the awareness. If you start to understand what led somebody uh, to be coerced and exploited into human trafficking, and especially when it's minors, it's sexually exploiting them. 
It's child sexual exploitation. And one of the things that we're understanding, you know, even the Canadian Coalition for the Rights of Children is demanding more comprehensive and centralized data on these issues because we are still just starting to have the informed discussions and understanding the prevalence. And that's the way um, that we're going to have more effective strategies. We're going to be able to do more prevention and intervene and meet the demands of caring for these. These are our children, Mike. They're kids. When you start to understand that the age of entry is 13 and it's from every demographic, we start to understand that as Ontarians and in our local communities and as Canadians, that it's our job to eradicate this. So, And when survivors speak up and they come to the table and for us, we have minor age victims that have given us uh, lots of information and the government has listened to what we're speaking about in stakeholder roundtables during the last eight months. And now we're able to put some stuff in place with this strategy. That's excellent. We're talking with Kelly Talon Franklin, founder of Courage for Freedom, best-selling author. And like I said, we could sit here and talk about all of the things that Kelly is involved in, but you have certainly been an advocate in this area. And to hear this sounding like a, a victory is very, very good. When we look at what we need to do to be more educated about human trafficking and sex trafficking, Kelly, what's something you wish we all knew that maybe we don't? Well, I think the first thing is we need to stop uh, talking about it like the deep, dark secret and get it out into the light and open. And that's exactly what we're doing with the National Awareness Campaign that launches July 30th. And if people want to know, go to courageforfreedom.org. If we help everybody baseline their awareness on exactly what's happening, then people can start taking some industry-specific and community-based training to know how to be the solution. I think that's the key. When we start to understand, you know, the criminals have enjoyed going province to province to province, moving young people at will, and us not being as coordinated as that made their job to uh, sell young boys and girls a lot easier. If we bring the awareness across the country, get people involved, help them to learn in their everyday life how they can help to do something. If we all do something, we will do a lot more collectively. And, you know, that's what all the agencies, the NGOs, people that have been doing this much longer than myself allowed me to engage in. That when we do this collectively, uh, everybody has a role to play. And we can just say, we want to eradicate the buying and selling of kids. Enough yeah. is enough. We've had it. Not for sale. Yeah, the idea that that is even a line. I think that's still, that right there probably still strikes a lot deeper than you would want it to. The idea that the buying and selling of kids, oh no, there's, there's no such thing as buying and selling of kids. But you have seen some of the realities of this. When when you hear buying and selling of kids, or when you say those words, what are you thinking? Well, for myself, first, I'm a survivor. So I understand the concept in real time. But what's more important is to understand it through the eyes and mind and experiences of the minors that are going through it now, if we actually want to help. It's underground. We don't see it. Nobody's standing on a street corner, usually, that's a minor. They're using social means and social media. And during COVID, it actually put young people at higher risk because they're spending more time on screen. 
And the criminals didn't follow the rules. <laughs> so, you know, they, and you know, we look at the demand when there's a lot of stress in community that um, it ups the game for people to be buying and selling kits because it's profiting when people need money. Really hard to get your head around, but it's, it's an honest, truthful thing. And it's just really hard to digest because you might not live this experience, but you have to trust that we need to do the advocacy and do the education for that neighbor kid next door, for somebody that's, you know, your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew. And I think there's still a stigma out there, Kelly, that it isn't a neighbor. It isn't my grandchild. It isn't my child. There's no way. It would It would be someone who had run away from home. It would be someone who, who did this. We need to get rid of that, don't we? We do, you know, because that's the way we isolate and insulate ourselves um, from, you know, from not recoiling that we need to be responsible for this. And the thing is, we need to ask ourselves, just in our lack of education, are we preventing our neighbors from being able to have that conversation with us and not feel stigmatized that it happened to them? We've seen that happen with mental health and with addiction. Now it's time for that to start happening with human trafficking and sexual exploitation, that we can have intelligent, social, actionable conversations that are going to allow us not to blame anybody else but the people that are buying and selling our kids. And I think we need to have a bigger conversation about who's buying the kids. I think we look to pimps and madams and boyfriend groomers and all those people that make us believe it's just a big dark issue, but we stopped asking the question, who's buying our children? Somebody's buying the kids. So hopefully with this national awareness campaign, that's stage two. We, we make sure we're all aware. We figure out what we can do to collectively come together, change some of the things. You know, we started with Project Route last year, put a lot of pressure probably on our government, not, not intentionally, just by calling people together at a historic Ontario movement that saw 16-year-old survivors' request of what to put up in an ad and how to include the community, how to include the Ontario, um, you know, Human Trafficking Office, Anti-Human Trafficking Coordination Office, how to include the Canadian Centre to End Human Trafficking's hotline number, teaching people, just put a number in your phone. You know, we want to make it simple enough that we can all be part of the solution. And you need to just not read, you know, you need to read between the lines when you read about articles and ask yourself the question, how is this happening and how can I help? And if you need suggestions, you know, there's organizations in London, there's lots across the province and us, and we love collaborating with as many organizations as we can because the criminals don't like us to do that. <laughs> Kelly, you continue to be amazing. Thank you for the conversation today. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I'm glad to hear this sounds like a victory, but it's a small victory and a big fight. So keep up the big fight. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And we'll continue to listen for opportunities to share what you fight for on our behalf. If people want to connect, courageforfreedom.org, join the campaign. Kelly, you stay safe. You too, Mike. Take care. Bye for now. That is Kelly Talon Franklin. 
Uh, Kelly is uh, undoubtedly one of the good ones, and her strength is pretty amazing. And now she's trying to make a big difference. So have a conversation with your kids. And like Kelly pointed it out, there are a lot people, a lot of people on screens a lot more right now. What are you doing? What do you, you know, make sure you have that conversation. Hey, who are you, who are you, who are you Snapchatting, texting, as my wife likes to ask our kids? Who are you Snapchatting, texting there? And just have it. Make sure that that's an open thing. Because it is a neighbor, it is a grandchild, it is a child, it is that easy. And it can't be. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.